You know, I've always thought of the planet as a gift. Welcome to Nature Magic. Over the last few months, we have spoken to nature lovers around Ireland and even in the UK and the US, thanks to Zoom. But today it's wonderful to be talking to another local naturalist and a great supporter of Borough Nature Sanctuary, Gordon Darcy. Gordon is a civil engineer, but has spent most of his working life as a freelance environmental author, artist, and educator. He has had 17 exhibitions featuring his nature artwork, has contributed to many magazines, and has published nine books. The Birds at Loch Beg, The Guide to the Birds of Ireland, The Pocket Guide to the Birds of Ireland, The Pocket Guide to the Animals of Ireland, The Natural History of the Burren, Ireland's Lost Birds, The Burren Wall, Nature, a nature art manual for primary schools, and most recently through Collins Press, The Breathing Burren, which has been so successful it is currently going to reprint. He has also taught many educational programs and designed concepts for visitor centres and nature display boards in 20 venues in Ireland. Gordon is also just a lovely, friendly person, a great nature lover, and we're so glad to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Gordon Darcy. Hi Gordon, it's lovely to have you on the podcast today. Gordon is a local naturalist and do you want to tell everybody where you are at the moment? Uh, yes, indeed. I'm in Killinaran, a small village um, on the edge of Galway Bay, not far from Canvara. Um, I'm sitting in the front room looking out at a wonderful piece of greenery that we've planted in front of us. Um, it's a little bit overcast, but um, uh, nice to be here talking to you. On a day like this. Thank you so right. much. It's great to be talking to you as well. And Gordon is also an author, and we'll talk about his books and everything, and I'll have links in the show notes, and they're all to do with nature, and he's a fantastic artist as well. So do you want to tell us how did you become a nature lover? Yeah, that's question number one, I think, in most, most questionnaires. But I'll tell you what, um, it's kind of vague now. Um, uh, I've always had this sort of, uh, interest in nature from a very young age. I was always curious about it, um, particularly about birds. And uh, I figure um, the initial kind of trigger was at primary school when the teacher started talking about uh, birds of prey and how their bones were hollow and that if they missed their prey, they could ba get badly injured. And that sort of stimulated my imagination. And uh, I looked at birds differently from then on, I think. Um, but I also liked the way birds flew and how elusive they were and uh, how beautiful they were, of course. And um, I suppose I was always slightly, um, um, if you like, removed from uh, society to the extent that I always had this artistic eye and liked to draw from an early age. And nature was a, the obvious subject because I was so close to it all the time. So those are some of the ideas, but it's vague now because it's so long ago. Another way memory plays tricks on you as well. You're not too sure what you've remembered and how much you've coloured it down the years. But but I imagine that those were certain certainly instigatory factors. Mm. And do you remember drawing your first animal or do you remember any early drawings? I do. I, I remember my earliest drawings. My father used to bring envelopes home from work and I would draw, not necessarily uh, animals and birds, but anything. Uh, I would draw airplanes and I would draw, I remember uh, drawing scenes where we'd 
which would be sort of verboten nowadays, of Indians going around a fort with soldiers in the fort shooting out at them and the Indians <laughs> following, falling off their horses. Uh, you know, the, in those days you were captivated by uh, television and, and programs that were, were popular. Um, but as I say, that's uh, certainly not PC anymore to th think along those lines. But those are the kind of ideas. I suppose then movement and form um, of any kind appeal to me. And because, as I say, I had this artistic bent, I just drew anything. Mm, so just all your imagination and everything, it came out on paper. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. And do you have a favourite plant or animal? No, I tell you, people ask me this all the time. Is it, uh, do you have favourites? I don't look at nature in that way. I don't have a kind of, a, um, how would you describe it, a sort of a favourite type vision. I, I look at nature in its totality and its... Uh, complexity and how it links, how one species links with another uh, in the overall ecology uh, of things. So I tend to see everything as having its own beauty and its own place. Um, I remember as a kid uh, not liking spiders, being in fact quite frightened of them. Um, but over time I got used to spiders and started to see them in a different light. Nowadays I see them as very beautiful, interesting creatures with their own kind of dynamic and their own way of doing things. Uh, and I think that that's what has happened with my overall view of nature. Instead of having favorites and singling out species which have, uh, you know, I suppose widespread appeal because of aesthetic reasons, I, I tend to see that everything having its own beauty. Does that answer the question for you? It does. That's lovely. And yeah, I used to be afraid of spiders too. And we had um, a really lovely lady, Laura Powers, on the podcast. And mm. she, said, she said that spiders are a symbol of creativity, especially right. writing. So that mm -hmm. might be why they're coming up, <laughs> you know, for you now that you love them. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, do you feel spiritually connected to nature or have you had any instances in your life that have felt like a particular spiritual experience? Plenty. Yeah. But, uh, I often find uh, nature um, uh, kind of having an overarching spiritual dimension to it. You know, I've always thought of the planet as a gift. You know, I think in terms of... That's lovely. And... Uh, you know, the thing about gifts is that you, if, if you have the right attitude towards a gift, you want to share it. And that's where I see my role, in fact, as a sort of a sharer of the gift of nature. Um, and you know, if you think of a box of chocolates, a big box of chocolates, and uh, with all the different varieties of sweets that there are in there, and if someone sticks their hands and goes for all the pralines and eliminates them, they're effectively uh, exploiting and plundering uh, something that's meant to be shared. Um, and, and I feel as though there are parallels there with, with the gift of the planet. The planet is something that um, we, we should be looking at in terms of moderation and fairness and sharing and non-exploitation. Unfortunately, we haven't, as humanity, we haven't done that down the centuries, but um, I think we're getting better at it now. But I do think that the spiritual aspect of it is, is always there. And I've always felt that from a very early age, that um, we didn't make nature. And uh, nature is, we're part of it, of course, but we, it's beyond us in terms of how it came to being. Uh, and we need to have 
some sort of, I think, divine connection there, or at least see it in that sense, in that sense um, rather than simply as uh, something to be mined or exploited. Mm. Uh, well, that's you know, a lovely, lovely message, that the planet is a gift. Yeah, I see it that way. Yeah, that really is. And um, what positive actions, that was the next question, what do you think people can do really to support nature now? They obviously feel overwhelmed with the whole crisis. Um, but if we can encourage people to do simple, easy things, what would you suggest? Well, as I mentioned to you, as I wrote to you, in fact, in your, in your uh, little preliminary connection there or a link, um, I think planting trees is one of the best things you can do. Mm-hmm. I think people should, you know, on, on a, a local basis, plant as many trees as they can, native trees particularly. But I think to carry that to uh, its logical conclusion, I think if you're looking at it on a planetary basis, every country should try and plant trees. Um, and there are wonderful things going on in that respect in, in parts of the world. This green belt that they're building across the Sahel, for instance, from West Africa to East Africa is uh-huh. a big sort of um, international kind of uh, effort there where all sorts of countries along that route are, are, are combining together to, to do something about um, uh, climate change and preventing the spread of the Sahara southwards and sequestering carbon dioxide and, and everything else that goes uh, with tree planting. So, yeah, um, that would be my that would be a priority in my mindset, in, in my mind's eye. Yeah, that's great. Um, that is a lovely, heartwarming project. It really is. And we were contacted by an interior design company who are going to partner up with us to plant some more trees here at the Borough Nature Sanctuary. So they're oh, great. Dan Air. So everybody, that every customer they get, they'll give them two native trees as well, um, which is lovely. Every little bit helps. What, have you noticed the, the ash dieback? It's quite widespread and I'm very concerned about it, um, both in my own garden where we've got evidence of it here, but also along the hedgerows. And I know that, um, having looked at the map, there are some parts of the country seriously afflicted by it already. Mm. Uh, you know, in County Wicklow, for instance, there are a lot of it. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I was actually shocked driving through the burn the other day to see so much of it so we can only hope in the burn yes across the burn and we do have it here as well we can only hope some of the trees will be strong enough to survive well these things come in phases as well mary you know the the um challenge disease for instance had had its extreme phase uh, 20 years ago when it wiped out millions of elm trees and then it, it faded uh, and that that tends to be what happens so i imagine this uh, ash dieback will do the same. I think it'll uh, reach a, a peak, uh, kill off a lot of young trees. I think that's where it, it, it heads for first, um, and then gradually destroy itself. It sort of implodes, and mm. the new generation of ash that come along will survive and thrive. Yeah. So we're trying not to get too upset about it, but we're planting some oak and some hazel and some different trees that to take yeah. over a while anyway. But that's a good plan. Yes, exactly. So I was going to ask about your inspiring nature books that you might want to recommend, but would you like to tell us about some of the books you've written first and what you're working on at the moment? And we'll go to the recommendations mm-hmm. after that. Yeah, um, 
theme is nature and the environment, as you know, and uh, I've looked at it from a lot of different ways, um, mostly through birds, uh, because I think birds are a great way into the whole natural the natural world. And I've always been stimulated by by birds. So I've written three, let me see, oh, three or four books on birds, um, a book on animals as well, um, three books on the bum, uh, one the natural history, one the breathing burn, which is my latest one, and uh, stone wall book looking at the stone walls. Yeah, it's a slim little volume uh, created by Girolas. Um, they they published it, uh, and I I wrote it along with Anne Court, who did some of the illustrations. And um, <clears throat> I, I looked at the stone walls from three different points of view. Um, uh, in response to a lot of questions I had from my students in the Burren College of Art. Uh, I teach there, I teach Irish studies there, so they were interested in why people would build stone walls across such barren landscape. <laughs> I thought I'd investigate this. Um, and uh, I, I addressed it in three different ways, aesthetically, uh, historically, and in terms of the wildlife corridors that these stone walls provide. Mm-hmm. So those are the, those are the sort of themes, if you like, that I, that I uh, focused on. Um, it, you know, I got a bit of criticism for from people who are stone wall builders and, and reckon that I didn't know anything about building stone walls. In fact, I've actually built stone wall myself, but I'm not a. I didn't look at it from the point of view of, you know, making a boundary out of uh, dry stone walling. Uh, I was interested in looking at it from those points of view, um, and I think I succeeded well. I was very happy with it in the end. Uh, as I say, the illustrations were partly done by Anne Corf and partly done by myself. Lovely. And the Breathing Burren book has been very successful. Um, do you want yeah. to tell us a little bit about that one? Well, that's a series of essays. I think there's over 60 essays in it. Uh, again, which I illustrated myself in watercolour. And they cover my experience of 30 years living and working in the Burren. Um, and I looked at, I suppose, the natural history primarily, but also at my relationship with the local people who live there, the farmers and the people who, whom I've um, interacted with down the years. Um, so that was a labour of love for me. Um, and I'm delighted to get it out when we did. And we sold out all the copies, so that was great. I'm That's just waiting for, I'm waiting for them to reprint it. <laughs> Wonderful. So you, it will be available on your website again, will it? Well, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Uh, yeah, so we'll put the links in the show notes to that. And are there any other authors you'd like to recommend to people? Because we're getting a lovely book list along with the podcast. Um, well, there's a very good book by Parig um, Fogarty called Whittled Away. Have you read that one? Yes. And Porik was on the podcast as well. So he um, he's brilliant. Well, one of the books I dip into a lot is a book I've had for many years. It was written by... Uh, the professor of zoology at uh, NUIG, a um, man called James Fairley, and it's called An Irish Beast Book. Oh. Now, what's nice about that book, it's it's kind of full of uh, um, solid scientific information, but it's also historical. He's, he's delved into the history of these species, and I find that it's a very interesting read. I go back to it again and again. Oh, fascinating. Great. We'll put that down as well. An Irish Beast Book. An Irish beast book. Brilliant. So if you had a magic wand, what one thing would you do for the planet today? Oh, you can do a couple of things if you want. 
Well, on the positive side, I'd plant trees and I'd get as many people as I could influence to plant trees as well because of the fantastic things that trees do and because of their basic beauty uh, and how they provide habitats for so many creatures. Um, that's one thing I do on the positive side. On the negative side, if you like, I would get people to be much more conscious of what they throw into the sea, oh, uh, yeah. particularly plastic. Um, um, I, I would like to see something being done about, you know, winning people over at large uh, to, to stop doing stuff like that and to think respectfully, shall we say, of the sea uh, and its vulnerabilities. Yeah, no, that's the that's the lovely wish as well. I mean, I just wish that the plastic would suddenly get a value like <laughs> oil or something and everyone would manically start picking it all up and looking for it and gathering it all yeah. up. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, so thank you so much, Gordon, for being on the podcast. And hopefully oh, no, see you soon. And we look forward, you're writing some new books as well. Do you want to tell us briefly about what you've been doing over the lockdown? Yeah, well, there's, there's stories more than books. Um, I've written five stories for children of different ages. Uh, and I've been very lucky in that um, just across the road from me uh, are three little girls who live uh, in the house across the way. And I've, I've sent the stories across to them and uh, <laughs> they, they've vetted them for me. And uh, thankfully I got, Pretty high marks. <laughs> so I don't know how much your focus that. group. You have a focus <laughs> group. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So yeah, I'm hoping to get those published sometime. But you, you never know. It's uh, it's tricky enough nowadays with all the competition. Yes. you're very aware of yourself, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. So, um, do they have a title? Have you chosen chosen a title? Yes. Yep. Yeah. The last one I've written is called Laura and the Leveret. Oh, which is lovely. A, a little girl who finds a baby hair. And the story behind it. Um, the other one was, uh, let me see if I can go back through them again. Connor, the, the, the corn crake who couldn't crack. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Behind why it couldn't crack. And then there's um, uh, Jenny the Jealous J. Uh, Jenny the what? The Jealous J. Oh, the Jealous J. Oh, Hannah the Heron. And Rory the Roaming Wren. Oh, Rory the Wren. How lovely. Thank you, Gordon, and we hope to see you in the Borough Nature Sanctuary very soon. Thank you all for listening to Nature Magic. Please subscribe to the podcast to help our reach, and we would love it if you could also give us an honest review. We have wonderful news for the Borough Nature Sanctuary book, Nature Magic, How You Can Engage Everyone with Biodiversity, that launched on Kindle last week, became a bestseller on amazon.co.uk and .com overnight. Thank you so much for everyone that bought the ebook. The print version of Nature Magic is due out on September the 1st. Borough Nature Sanctuary is open Wednesdays to Sundays, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. No pre-booking necessary. We have had great feedback from customers who are finding the one-way route and the new COVID restrictions easy to navigate and seem to be delighted to have the opportunity to have a day out. Also, Amelia is nearly booked out for the Fairy Pig Walks on Airbnb experiences. So thank you, Amelia. Over the summer, the podcast will air every two weeks. Thank you for listening.